Results from the third Office of Management and Budget Pulse Survey are out. This government-wide survey produced some mixed results, but looking at the data might be only the first step. Senior leaders have lots of ways to respond to the feedback and to nip issues in the bud if they want to. Here with the details, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And Drew, this Pulse survey kind of looked pretty much like the last two Pulse surveys. No real super strong, I love it here, I can't wait to do my day's work. And there's not really that strong, I hate it here, can't wait to get it out. Scores are mostly in the middle. So what's significant about this latest one? So this poll survey was released on April 28th by OMB, as you said. And there's not a lot of really extreme answers, but there were some agencies who fared better than others. Generally, poll surveys give agency leaders a quick and more immediate way to see how employees are feeling about their environment. It looks at factors like workload, exhaustion, issues of diversity and equity, resources for remote work and return to office plans. And when I spoke with Jason Briefel, who's the director of policy and outreach at the Senior Executives Association, he said that pulse surveys can help leaders respond quickly as opposed to some of the other long-form surveys that are out there. These pulse surveys really provide a new tool that management hasn't had before. To, to find out how things are going for their workforce at scale on important issues, particularly in the pandemic, as we're returning to the physical office space for some employees for the first time in two years. Being able to you know, get a snapshot of what that's looking like every month or two is really valuable to position leadership. And Drew, which agencies did well, relatively speaking, and which did not do so well? General Services Administration and NASA had two of the most positive feedback and results across the board. For example, 92.6% of respondents at GSA either agreed or strongly agreed that return to work timelines were being clearly communicated by agency leadership. And over at NASA, 83.1% of respondents either agreed or strongly agreed that they trust agency leadership to do what's right to protect employees' health, safety, and well-being when it comes to reentry plans. Agencies like the National Science Foundation and Education Department also did really well on the survey. But there were some that didn't do so well who fared pretty poorly. Those include the Social Security Administration, Departments of Homeland Security and Housing and Urban Development. For example, at the Department of Homeland Security, employees gave the lowest scores when asked if they agree that time flies when they're working. 20% of respondents either disagreed or strongly disagreed with that statement. And 20% doesn't necessarily seem that bad, but it's more than twice as high as some of the top performing agencies. Sure. And even within DHS, which doesn't do so well on the federal employee viewpoint survey that is annual, but it does vary component by component too within a DHS or a HUD or whatever. Exactly. And looking at HUD, when asked, for example, if they would take a job elsewhere, if it offered more workplace flexibilities and remote options, 62.6% of respondents at HUD said yes. That's the highest of any agency. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, and as we said at the top, agencies' management can use this data to do things and maybe improve them. What are some of the things they actually can do with this data? So I spoke with former NASA Chief Human Capital Officer Jerry Buckles, and she said that many senior leaders who are taking steps with issues like work-life balance, 
can do a better job communicating your efforts to employees. And she said there's a lot of ways to support employees and try to improve feedback on things like these poll surveys that can range from things like providing more resources, more flexibility for people to balance their work life, hiring more employees if you have the resources, and just embracing employee assistance programs to reach out to people who seem like they're maybe on the edge of burning out. And when I spoke to Briefful, he said that all agencies can take actions based on their results, regardless of how well they did. There's also a lot of examples out there in the private sector or even in other governments on how we can use this information, how we can communicate through, you know, these challenging times. And I think the communication piece is really, really critical. Does your workforce know what's going on? Do they feel like that they can believe and trust what you're telling them? Feel like they're getting that information when they need it. You know, that helps them meet basic needs and not have anxiety, you know, take over and, and make things more stressful than they already may be. Again, that's Jason Briefel of the Senior Executives Association. And Drew, what about the situations where agencies seem to, at least management wants to respond, but the results kind of stay stuck down there in that lower level? What can they do? When I spoke with Jerry Buckles, she said that a really key part of this is to just show agencies and workers and key them into what exactly are you doing. So sometimes a lot of Agency leaders will take actions or respond to these results and then not follow up with their employees. So just making them aware of things that you're trying to do and also just acknowledging that there are problems and showing that you're taking it seriously. Those are some ways that you can show that you you do really care and you do want to try to make changes. Now, the Social Security Administration that we mentioned a moment ago was pretty close to the bottom in almost every category for this third pulse survey. And I don't think they do that well on the FEVs either. Did anything change? Is there any indication that things are changing for SSA? In terms of the actual feedback they got, it's pretty much the same for across the three rounds. But this time around, Acting Commissioner Kilolo Kijikazi wrote an email that she sent out to all SSA employees about the low scores. She talked about how she was concerned about high rates of exhaustion, lack of engagement that employees are feeling. And she's also concerned that they're not feeling supported when it comes to work-life balance, issues of equity and career advancement. So that's a good example of what Buckles said when she talked to me to just really acknowledge the results. And Kijikazi added that there are definitely a lot of problems with employee satisfaction and that she's going to be in touch in the coming weeks with her agency to give more details about exactly what actions they're going to be taking to address those results. And we also heard from the director of OPM, Office of Personnel Management, Kiran Ahuja. Yes, Kiran Ahuja. I spoke with her recently as well, and she told me that she was focusing on the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, but it really just applies to employee feedback overall. She had some advice for agencies who are facing a ton of data coming in and a ton of feedback from their employees on those types of surveys. Look at the data, read it, understand it, and really respond to to what you're seeing within, you know, within your own workforce. A big part of this, I think, of how this starts to feel very real for folks is that, like, what do you do with the data, right? The way you actually also increase participation in these surveys is that they see this feedback loop. They see that when they are speaking their mind through this survey, that there's that follow-up that's happening in these agencies. That's OPM Director Kieran Ahuja. And we've been hearing from Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom.
Check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Mm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 
12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, And that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, And it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on What does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the the, probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay Black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And 
you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Explore today's must-have trends and innovative styles at Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. Shop one-of-a-kind finds in today's must-have trends. Explore wall-to-wall deals, furniture, flooring, mattresses, home accents, seasonal favorites, and more. Discover unique new home decor, pillows, accessories, and more. There's something perfect for your style and budget. There's new inventory every day at up to 80% off suggested retail. Discover the style and savings of the new Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffles Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.